Morning. As Jason said, Josh also, we're starting a new series of, uh, this morning on the book of Judges. You guys did okay in some of those questions. And, you know, I would say the book of Judges, my guess is that most of us have not read the book of Judges uh, recently. You'll see if you got, when you walked in a reading guide, I hope that you will read it. Take advantage. You're going to be here in church, many of you, I hope, for these weeks. Why not take advantage of it? You can read the book of Judges with it. Many of us haven't read it. I would guess, too, maybe if we did a little quiz, we're not going to do it here. Not only would we may or may not know the answers to some of these questions, but we may or may not really understand what is the real purpose of the book of Judges. Does it have a purpose? Maybe the reason we don't read it is we don't really know what the book is really about. But I would say to you this morning, and really just by way of introduction this, this morning in this book, that this is a book tucked away there in the early part of your Old Testament that perhaps has um, more relevance to our lives today, what it means to be a follower of Jesus today, than perhaps any other book in the Bible, or it's as relevant as any other book in the Bible. Let me start with a simple uh, background illustration to this entire book. The book of Judges happens after the book of Joshua. Now, the book of Joshua, some of you may remember this, some of you may not, God gives the nation of Israel the promised land, right? This had been going on for many, many years. In fact, 400 years, the people of God were in slaves in Egypt, and they had heard only by, you know, reputation, only by their parents and their grandparents that there was once a guy named Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, you know, when God really blessed his people, but they had lived for slaves for many generations, but in there was a promise, an ancient promise that seemed to go on one year after another year, another decade, another decade, another whole lifetime that God had promised to give the people of Israel, the people of God, their own land. And finally, all right, Moses delivers the people of God, and under Joshua, the great leader, God gives them the land of promise, the land of Canaan, the land of milk and honey. It's a beautiful story. It's an amazing promise, ultimately delivered because of the victory of God through Joshua. But the book of Judges is not about the giving of the land, right? That's one thing. If someone gives you a gift, Karen, I'm going to give you a gift for your birthday. It's one thing to receive a gift. It's another thing to open that gift, to appropriate that gift, to get and drive that car, to wear that sweater, to spend that money, to invest it, right? That's the other. In the book of Judges, is not about receiving God's gift, but it's about possessing that gift that God has given. And this is where the real challenge is for us, all of us here. So by way of introduction, let me say this. When Moses, when we see the nation of Israel going into the promised land here, right, in the book of Judges, to possess the promises that God had given to them, it was not the first time they ever went into this property. In fact, you go way back almost 80 years to their grandparents and their great-grandparents when God first, with Moses, sent in a spy uh, 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 entourage, 12 spies, one from each tribe, and he said, listen, before we have this great military victory, I want to you to send those spies. And now, why did he do that? Because he wanted them to come back and give a report 
to say, listen, yes, it's challenging. Yes, there are other nations in there. Yes, we're going to have to um, uh, exercise some, some courage and do some military victories. This was what they had to go in and, and, and fight these other nations to recover this land that God had promised them. But he said, listen, this is an amazing land. It is full of milk and honey. It's full of great promises. So God sent in some spies so they could come back to the nation that was anxious, that was nervous, to say, let me tell you, a, 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 let me give you a little vision of what this is really all about. And this is what Moses said. If you're a note taker, it's in uh, uh, Numbers chapter 13. 80 years before we're gonna, the passage we're gonna look here this morning, he said, listen, I want you to send some spies in because this is what I want you to do. Look at the land. See if it's beautiful. See if it has trees. See if it has mountains. See what the cities look like. See what the homes look like. Bring back a report. But he said, this is the one thing I want you to do. The most important thing I want you to do is when you go into the land, I want you to bring back some of the fruit of the land. Bring back some of the fruit because I'm telling you this is a beautiful land. It's a rich land. It's a, it's a fertile land. It's a land I have prepared for you. And the, if you read Numbers 13, the spies come back, right? All they had was words, but they brought one thing back with them. It says they brought back with them a cluster of grapes, a single cluster of grapes, Numbers 13, and it took two men to carry a single cluster of grapes. Now, I, I'm no horticulturist. I barely, you know, I'm in and out of Wegmans very quickly. But I can tell you this. I can't even imagine how a single cluster of grapes, you know, about the size of your fist or maybe a little more, right, if you go to Wegmans today, well, how you could ever bring, take two men to bring back on a pole a single cluster of grapes unless those grapes were unusually big. And I'm sure the whole purpose of that illustration was that they stood there in front of the nation to say, ladies and gentlemen, tribes of Israel, I want you to know two things. Number one, God keeps his promises. And when he said this is a land of milk and honey, when he said this is a fertile land, let me tell you something. The fruit of this land is unlike anything you've ever seen. And now don't just take my word for it. Take a look at this single cluster of grapes. And number two, if this looks good, let me tell you something. It's the tip of the iceberg. And I'm sure that was done to inspire them and to encourage them. It says God keeps his word and God is going to deliver on his promises. Now let's go and do it. That's what Caleb said, and that's what Joshua said, but most of you know the rest of the story. The other 12 spies said, it indeed is a beautiful land, and it indeed has fruit that's beyond anything that we have ever seen. The houses, the land, everything's as, everything is as God said it would be, but there's giants in the land, and there's people who are yes, giants in the land. <laughs> And there's people that are more uh, stronger than we are. They're taller than we are. They have greater military prowess than we do. They're in more intelligent than we are. They're better looking than we are. We cannot do this. And so the nation decided, despite these amazing promises, to not go in the land. They said, no, we're not going to do it. Yes, God brought us out of Egypt. Yes, God brought us through the 10 plagues. Yes, God brought us through the Red Sea. Yes, God brought us through the Jordan River. 
in the book of Joshua. He did, but we cannot trust him to take us into the promised land. So what did this whole nation do? They didn't stop thinking that God loved them. They just said, listen, we still believe in heaven. We're not gonna go forego heaven, but we're gonna stay and live the rest of our lives in the wilderness. And uh, they decided they were just gonna wait it out and never experience in their lives, in the life that they had left, the true promises of God in that entire nation. God never stopped loving them. As far as I know, they didn't die and go to hell. The Bible doesn't tell me this, but it says this. They spent the rest of their natural lives apart from the promises of God. This is where the book challenges us. This is the lesson for you and for me. Did the subsequent generation, here we are 80 years later, did they go into the promised land? Yes, they did. We're here, but let me tell you something. Their success was very limited, it was very short-lived, and it was less than the purposes God had for them. First point, why? Because the world is a spiritually dangerous place and they were not prepared for it, right? They were not prepared for it. And what you see in the book of Judges, this is all by way of introduction, is this. A lot of them figured, right, Partial success is good enough, right? We can, we won't, God has told us what to do. He's told us to go in there and wipe out all of these nations, to burn these cities to the ground. We are to bring down a complete and total um, um, elimination of the peoples in there. It was a military challenge. This is what God said, but they got in there and decided they were going to do it their own way. It was a partial success. They thought, well, you know what? We don't have to do exactly what God said. Let's just do half of what God said. But God felt otherwise. And this is the progress report by way of introduction, right? Judges chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. After their first foray into the promised land, after their first foray into really beginning to not just receive the gift, but to try to possess it, right? This is what the Lord says to their imperfect um, a compliance. The angel of the Lord went from Gilgal to Bochim and said, the angel of the Lord is the messenger. Some would say it was the pre-incarnate Jesus, but this is an important message from God. Quote, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land I swore to give to your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. I will, and, and you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land. God says, listen, I will never break my promises with you. Just like I told you I'd bring you out of Egypt miraculously. Just like I told you I'd bring you through the Red Sea miraculously. Just like I told you I'd feed you with angels' food in the wilderness. And I did miraculously. I will never break my promises with you. And I told you not to make a covenant with the people, but... You shall break down their altars. It's about worship. But yet, you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this, right? And I have also said, I will therefore not drive them out before you. They will become traps for you, and their gods will become snares to you. When the angel of the Lord had spoken these things to all the Israelites, the people wept 
allowed. Can you imagine? Here they are, two million strong, and they're sitting here after this, what thought, they thought was a victory, they thought was a success story, and the whole nation weeps aloud. And they called that place Bochim, which means weepers, right? There they offered sacrifices to the Lord. It really means, you know what, you want a, want a loose translation for Bochim? It means crybabies, right? Crybabies. Why did that happen? Why did they have imperfect success? It was not because God was not there. He kept his promises. It was because they decided to do it their way instead of his. Instead of wiping out all of these nations, which is what they were told, they instead, verse uh, 2, they decided to make a deal with them just like we do, right? The world is a spiritually dangerous place. But you and I say, well, you know what? It's okay. I'll go ahead and look at this website anyway. I'll go ahead and look at this magazine anyway. I'll be involved in this relationship that I know is probably isn't healthy for me. We go after one decision after another, and we decide what God says is more than is necessary. And if I just go halfway and, and do what God says, if I can just step in this a little bit, I know better than God, and I can figure this out on my own. And when you and I decide to make deals Instead of being obedience with God, the same consequence that happened to these people happens to us. Now, let me just say a few words in a very short opening sermon. Because this passage of Scripture, the world is a spiritually dangerous place, is one that, that, that um, hangs up a lot of people that God would actually you know, uh, um, um, tell people, this is, you know, it's, 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 it's um, you know, divine sanctioned genocide. Go in and wipe out every man, every woman, every child. That's why no, nobody preaches on the book of Judges. How could God possibly say this? And really what the Israelites were doing, like you and I do, we say, well, listen, God's a little, he's a little over, uh, he's a little overwrought, and God doesn't really see the world in the right way. He's sort of, you know, kind of got that, that, you know, overdone mentality, and, and, and he doesn't have the compassion I have, he doesn't have the, the sensitivity that, I, he doesn't know these people that live near me, he doesn't know what it's like to live in the modern day world, and so we can figure this out a little better than God does. We're a little bit more compassionate than he is, right? That's what we think. And if I can't, off, I can't serve a God who has this kind of mentality, but that people that say that, or if you and I say that, it's because we cherry pick what we want to believe about the Bible, and we don't really look at the record of the Bible. What these people were called to do was an act of obedience to wipe out the peoples and the nations. But it wasn't done willy-nilly. It, it wasn't a land grab. It was an act of judgment because 500 years earlier, and if some of us knew our Bibles, we'd know this. If our critic friends knew our Bibles, they'd know this. God sent someone in ahead of the nation of Israel. His name was Abraham and his, and his nephew Lot. And they lived in the promised land. And they demonstrated the truth of the God of Israel. And they talked about who God was. And he talked to, every, he talked to kings. And he talked to people. And they, he demonstrated who God was. God brought his message to the peoples who were in this land. And for 500 years... God was patient. But in the course of those 500 years, you're going to have to do your homework yourself. I'll give you two verses, Leviticus 18, Deuteronomy 18. I don't have time this morning. The, these people, instead of listening to Abraham and responding to the teachings of God, they went the exact opposite way. And they began to worship false gods, and they did things that it's almost beyond even the modern mind to imagine what they did. 
Let me just show you one verse of scripture. There was so much moral corruption, even their worship, they worshiped their own children, or uh, sacrificed their own children. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 29. The Lord your God will cut off before you the nations you are about to invade and dispossess. This is God's power. We just need to be obedient. But when you have driven them out and settled in their land, and after they have been destroyed before you, be careful not to be ensnared by inquiring about their gods, saying, how do these nations serve their gods? We will do the same. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way. Because in worshiping their gods, they do all kinds of detestable things the Lord God hates. Read the lists in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire as sacrifices to their gods. That's kind of what they were doing, right? And Moses is saying, listen, if you really want to experience the promises of God, you want to know what it is that God has given you, you want to experience what God has given you, you need to not play with the things of this world because we live in a spiritually dangerous place and they're, not only, they're going to undermine your faith and corrupt your heart and corrupt your mind. The world is a dangerous, spiritually dangerous place. The second heart of this message, lesson for us, a half-hearted faith is no faith at all. You might say this is really the heart of the entire book of Judges, right? A half-hearted faith. And by the way, this is for all of us, not just the students in the room. We often talk about kids. It's for all of us. And I would say this. This is the reason, right? This is what we're talking about here, right? Lord, is it okay? Yes, we're gonna wipe out many of them. We're going to take out 85% of what you said you do, but we wanna keep some of them alive. We wanna keep some compassion to these people, right? We have a half-hearted faith, but I would say this. A half-hearted faith is the reason many of us do not experience God's promises for our lives, we're not, we're not serious followers of Jesus, right? We, it, we, we have a half a success story in Judges chapter one, right? It's like people who, uh, you know, do a half a homework assignment or people who keep half of their promises or, you know, half of your room cleaned or tell half of the truth, right? When I was thinking about this, I thought about, uh, the story came to me and I, why I remember it, uh, I don't know why. I was, I was seven or eight years old with some kids in the room. And I was over one of my best friends. It was, I had two best friends, and we were like the three musketeers. And his, um, his mother made lunch for us. And I was one of those kids who was a really picky eater, right? So having lunch was always a challenge. And I'm sitting over there, and she made, this bolo- she made me a bologna sandwich. And I, and I just had this thing like, oh, I don't like bologna, right? And I could have just told her that, right? So she makes this bologna sandwich, and I take this bologna up to my... And as I'm about to eat this bologna sandwich, I literally loosen my fingers on the bread and the bologna falls on the ground, right? <laughs> and, and, and I just, you know, just start to knead the bread and she says, oh, you know, Robbie, are you, you, what, uh, you know, did, what happened? And she said, honey, and she could tell how ashamed I was, kind of, and, I, and she said, honey, that's okay. And she picked up the bologna and she go, went and made another sandwich for me. <laughs> and I thought, oh, this isn't working. And as she did it, I did it again. <laughs> and then she came to me and she said, I'll never forget, her name was Mrs. Van Neal. She said, honey, do you not like bologna? 
Now, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I think it was something like, I really like, my favorite is peanut butter and jelly or something, right? <laughs> Point is, it was not the full truth, right? And when we do not tell the full truth, when we do not obey God fully, right, that's when we lose out on the promises of God. And that's what the story of this, look at this, look at, let me just look at a few verses from chapter one. The opening of chapter one, there was a level of success. The very first campaign, the, Judea, the, 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 the tribe of Judah was successful, but almost immediately it goes downhill, verse 27. Listen carefully to these verses as I read them. But Manasseh, it's one of the 12 tribes. There's going to be a lot of names you may not understand here, but listen carefully. But Manasseh did not drive out the people of Beth Shan or Tanakh or Dor or Eblim or Megiddo and their surrounding settlements. For the Canaanites were determined to live in that land. That's the, uh, the people that lived in the land. When Israel became strong, they, they pressed the Canaanites into forced labor, but never drove them out completely. Well, God says drive them out completely, but why don't we just put them to work? Why don't we just hire them? It doesn't matter that they worship detestable gods. It doesn't matter that they burn their children in the fire. It doesn't matter that the immorality that they're involved in and they do it as an act of worship is beyond anything that we can ever imagine. It's okay, right? God says, let's do it this way. We'll do it our own way. Nor did Ephraim, another one of the tribes, drive out the Canaanites living in Gazir, but the Canaanites continued to live there among them. Neither did Zebulun, the other brother, drive out the Canaanites living in Kitron or Nahalal, or so the Canaanites lived among them, but Zebulun did subject them to forced labor. See, ah, God, we, we're doing halfway. It's okay. They're, we're, they're working for us. Nor did Asher drive out those living in Acho or Sidon or Halab or Ezkib or Hila or Aphek or Rehob. The Asherah lived among the Canaanite inhabitants of the land because they did not drive them out. Neither did Naphtali, another brother, drive out those living in Beth Shemesh or Beth Anoth, but the Naphtalites too lived among the Canaanite inhabitants of the land, and those living in Beth Shemesh and Beth Anoth became forced laborers. For you say, what's the point? I don't read this because who can, uh, who can pronounce half of those words and who cares about the geography? But the point is not about geography. It's not about, uh, you know, uh, ancient names. What is the theme of those verses I just read? Do not drive them out. It's partial obedience. That's the whole point. That's the lesson. Let me tell you something. Obedience. You yet have disobedience. Why is obedience important? Because you and I do not understand God's plans or how God works things out, right? I don't know if God's going to work out his purposes for my life. I don't know exactly how God's going to work out our purposes for the life of this church. Can you imagine? The, the, what was the plans to take over the first nation in the book of Joshua when they went in there to just give that uh, city of Jericho to the nation of Israel? They walked around it seven times with trumpets, and then they blew the trumpets on the last day and the walls came down. How could you ever anticipate that? How could I ever anticipate that? God started the family of Israel with a, a woman, the matriarch, who was barren. Her name was Sarah. Jacob, the patriarch, her grandson was a, a, a deceiver. He was the guy named Israel. He turned, he, the, Israel's first king was a shepherd. Who would come up with these ideas? Your job my job is not to figure out how God acts 
or to do nothing until he does act. It's to do what he says in his power, right? That's what the lesson is, right? My last point in the application of this message. We don't sit around and try to figure out, well, when, when I finally figure out how God's going to, to bring about his purposes in my life, then I'll act. Or I'll just wait until he acts, and then, I'll, then I'll, join the, I'll join him. No. It's about obedience. It's a brave spirituality. It's a brave spirituality. This is a book, right, about less than perfect people. Everyone in here is about a less than per, even the guys that we kind of look up to, and we'll see some of those in these, see, some of the early judges who are not, you know, gavel judges, they're military leaders, but even some of these early deliverers seem like they're decent men and women, but they're all less than perfect. The real hero of the book of Judges is God himself, right? And what he's saying is this. He's behind every victory. He's behind every blessing. And if you and I want to experience the promises of God, right? We, we, we don't want to just say, oh, well, we'll do it in heaven. We really want to experience them. Then we need to obey God fully. And here's how we, this is a brave spiritual. Just look at the opening part of the book. We're almost done. After the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, right? What a time when they were asked to go in to possess the promises when their leader, the guy they'd been counting on, was gone. But you know what? God does his greatest work at the times of what seems like our greatest failures, our greatest weaknesses, the times when you say, this is the last time. This is the worst time for me to be at this place that God's gonna ask me to do something. But it's where God does his greatest work. It's not our lack of strength that prevents us from enjoying God's blessings. It's our lack of faith in his strength. Now watch this, verse one. After the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, who of us is to go up first to fight against the Canaanites? The Lord answered, Judah shall go up, right? Jeff shall go up. Jason shall go up. Karen shall go up. Rhonda shall go up. Patsy shall go up. Now watch this. I have given the land into their hands. Now, was that true when he said that? Well, God says it's true. I'm going to keep my promises. But at that moment, let me tell you something. Joshua was dead. The people were giants, and they had not been defeated. See, brave spirituality is believing what God says, not sitting around and trying to figure out how he's going to do it, right? Or to decide, well, when, 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 the, when, when I see the walls start coming down, then I'll jump in at the last minute and be a part of the victory. No. He says, Judah will go up, right? Lynn will go up. You will go up. And I have given the land into their hands. This is what we're talking about, right? Now listen, we live on the other side of the cross. God isn't calling us to go and destroy the peoples around us. He's called us to go love the people around us, right? But unless we understand the world is a dangerous place, unless we understand we need to have a wholehearted faith to get there, we will fail. 
right? We will fail. What are the God's promises to us? Ephesians 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. What has God promised us? These are all right out of Ephesians 1. The forgiveness of sins, right? This is the spiritual blessings that God has offered to us. Do you know this all the way down to your toes? He has promised us purpose, right? Ephesians chapter one. He has, he, it, before the creation of the world, he has, he has designed us to experience the full purpose of his will, God's will for your life, for my life. He has promised us the power of the Holy Spirit of God, right? Of course the challenges in this life are bigger. Of course we live in a spiritually dangerous place, but God has provided for us these spiritual blessings if we have a brave spirituality. He has loved us, right? I think Ephesians 1 says he loves us. He's lavished his grace upon us. This is the spiritual blessings he has offered us. He has offered us wisdom and understanding, right? He has offered us uh, abundant grace, right? But we have to decide, right, that we're not going to um, live a half-hearted kind of faith, Of course the challenges are greater. Yes, we live in a spiritually dangerous place, but if we're willing to trust, put our strength, not trust in our own strength, but put our faith in his strength in our lives, right? Who shall go up against for us against the Canaanites? Karen shall go, because I have given this into his hands. Stand with me uh, this morning. Let us pray. Let us pray. The back of your bulletin, question to think about as you, as we open this series, as you think about where we are, where you are. Where do I need to rely on God's strength today instead of my own, right? Where do I need to rely on God's strength instead of my own? Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Lord, I ask for your blessing on everyone in this room, every student, every child, every mom, every dad, every every person, wherever we are, Lord. I'm confident, Lord, that you have called us individually and collectively to possess this land, so to speak, to go into this world with your message of love and your grace. And despite the arrows, despite the, um, the, the, the dark forces around us, God, with you we can do all things. In obedience to you, God, there is nothing we cannot do, nothing we cannot accomplish, Lord, because it's your strength, it's your power, it's your truth. Lord, I pray, help us, each in this room, to confess this morning in our own hearts and minds that we have not lived a a full, whole-hearted faith, that we have in many ways, I have in many ways, had a half-hearted kind of faith where I've I've, decided that I'm not uh, qualified enough, I'm not good enough, or things are too challenging and difficult for me, and I'm just gonna settle for life in the wilderness 
in the hope of a future heaven. Lord, help us all to see that you've called us to a brave spirituality, to take your promises in, in your power and to possess, Lord, more fully the forgiveness of sins, to possess more fully wisdom and understanding, to possess more fully your grace, your love, your purpose for us as individuals and us as a church. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.